Hi, and a warm welcome to all of you. Glad you could join our podcast. My name is Kate Pohl, and I'm the head of Bank and Partner Strategy at TraxPay. My partner is Stephen Batiste, the CTO of TIS. Stephen is our resident tech wizard. He began writing code at age seven and deciding and designing video games when he was a teenager. Stephen has never looked back since. Today, we are very excited indeed to be having a conversation with Andre Bayorat, head of strategy of the corporate bank for Deutsche Bank and founder and editor at Payments and Banking. Andre, I don't know if, um, if you remember, but it was a real pleasure of mine uh, when we first met. Uh, this was actually at dinner at Hugo's. I know, I know, it wasn't Frankfurt. <laughs> yes, that's right, exactly. And it was a thrill to be able to eat dinner with a legend. So, no. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> when was it? Wasn't it 2017, 2016? I'm not, I'm not sure. Some, something around then. I, yeah. I, I have to, to count back. I think it was the probably the end of 16 or the yeah. very beginning of 17. It was winter. Yeah, it was definitely winter. You had <laughs> yeah. your cap on, I remember yeah, yeah. that. Yeah. Okay, but let's get down to business. Okay. So before we get going with our questions, uh, it would be great to have you talk a little bit about your career path. It looks like you got started in sales. Is that true? Yeah, that's right. Um, I started uh, my career, uh, and I, I don't like the name, so I, <laughs> I started working in sales in 1996, um, and that was in the moment um, I quit my studies. So I tried to, to study law, but uh, was not able to, to, to finish it, or not able or not willing is more or less the, the, better, the better term. And uh, I started in a software company, uh, which built one of the first online banking softwares uh, for German saving banks. So that was in Cologne, and that was um, a company owned by um, Sparkasse Köln-Bonn. No, Schatzsparkasse Köln is the former name. Okay. And uh, so quite interesting that I'm now in touch again with, with, with the guy who's, who was responsible for the software company, Joachim Schmalzel, who is the chairman of EPI oh, yeah. and so on. And yeah. so we know... Uh, okay. since 1996 um, and yeah that was SK online and that was the first um, software and there was um, maybe if you remember it was the beginning of the internet in Germany and online banking was one of the killer applications and the reason for a lot of people to go online and uh, all the internet companies or the um, internet service providers was the name if you remember it was telecom eins and eins AOL and so on um, they tried to partner with banks um, to bring people online. And so that was our business that we built um, PC software and uh, uh, brought the, the software together with modems. <laughs> so with, uh, with a connection. I remember that very, I remember that very yeah. well. Let's not go there. <laughs> to, to the people and, 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 and Telecom AOL and, and, and Eins and Eins. So uh, Domamut um, were paying for the software uh, because we are doing the, typical uh, tip um, tip business so the affiliate business is a new name for that and that was the beginning in 1996 and uh, yes my first job was um, doing uh, the very very early uh, job was uh, doing support at the hotline because I was able uh, to plug in a modem so that was um, enough to do that Yay. and then <laughs> and then then I started uh, to do uh, my, my first sales job um, at SK online in the saving banks area but when did the entrepreneurial bug actually bite? Yeah, I think it was from, from the very beginning uh, because 
not not to build something by myself. That was nothing which I did from the beginning. But um, before starting at Deutsche Bank, I only ever worked in companies where there were five to ten other colleagues. So that was always very very small companies, and it felt always like. Um, that was the word startup was not there in the beginning, but it was um, always like an entrepreneurial uh, spirit. And even these companies, uh, we have always created new products or companies. So that was uh, from the early beginning. So it was always like um, uh, day one yeah, at Esco Online, afterwards at Star Finance, GyroPay, Number Four, uh, Figo. That was always like like day day one. Okay, um, but I really, but but I really um, had had the, uh, had the urge to start up on my own at Figo too. It was more by chance. So it was um, I was the business angel in the company before I took over the CEO position. So that was not something which I was driving. So other people had the idea, and I was uh, mostly um, involved in very very early um, stages. Okay, so here you are. You know, a fintech entrepreneur. Everybody knows Figo, etc. What convinced you to leave fintech and move into banking? Most people go the other way, right? <laughs> I think I've been more of a border crosser since the start of my career. So I started in, as mentioned, in 1996 um, in a fintech of a saving bank. Yeah, so that was like a like a fintech company, but but founded by a saving bank and a software company out of Karlsruhe. And since then, I've I've been more and more side and, and more on the other side. So I was um, at the saving banks in the software company. Then I worked uh, for Star Finance. Then I worked for GyroPay. That was more or less um, um, a, a company. So, so GyroPay, which was owned by banks. And so I was always a little bit um, on the border. <laughs> so that was not a, not, not a move from, from one side to the other. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. Okay, over to you, Stephen. Hi, Andre. So you did mention tech, and as you know, this shows about demystifying tech, but you mentioned tech from the past. I'm wondering, how do you feel key technologies will kind of shape the future world going forward, especially in the world of finance? Yeah, so I think our industry continues to be very much influenced and driven by technology. So that's quite clear. So absolutely, yeah. And um, I think the internet, cloud, API, and now digital assets will become more and more important. Yeah, and we see that they that very very successful players in the industry are very technology driven. So for me, examples like Stripe, SumUp, Adyen. Coinbase are showing us a way so that technology will be absolutely the driver for success for, 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 financial, for, for financial companies. Uh -huh, interesting. And do you see this in the next two to three years or this is more immediate for these kind of like plays on? I think the technology, the, the importance of technology is nothing which we will see only in 10 years. We will see that we see that right now. Yeah. And, and we and 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 we see that the, the, the change is rapidly. Um, so it's more and more faster and faster and faster. And so I see that absolutely from now in two years and five years and in 10 years. So technology is absolutely the driver. Great. And do you see AI fitting in as well with this? So I've, I don't have a strong opinion on AI, to be very, very honest, yeah, because I haven't been involved uh, with it enough. Um, I'm always in touch with people who said, okay, AI will change a lot. AI will change um, a lot of things. I think it's um, good technology 
to do the right things. But I think it's not a game changer. So I think if we're talking about the internet, that was a game changer for the industry. Cloud is a game changer for the industry. I'm not sure if AI is like that. So it's for me, it's more, it's more a technology we will, we hopefully we will use in the future. I actually agree with this. AI is definitely great for bringing in efficiencies and making efficiencies more scalable. But as a game changer, I think it's maybe overplayed a little for like how much it is going to change the game. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Guys, I was looking forward to being having an avatar and being Princess Leia. Come on. You know, is, this, <laughs> is this not part of the is this not part of the play? Maybe maybe not for finance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh well, okay, okay. So maybe so, after I rethink my career choices. <laughs> Yeah, let's see. As a, I, I think the technology, Kate, the, I think that AI will change a lot in our maybe private life. So I totally agree. And um, sometimes all these technologies will come to the financial um, industry as well. But I think AI is not the key driver for the financial technology uh, for, for the financial industry. And I think that's something which with Steve, Stephen, and I um, totally agree. Okay, fair enough. I'd like to go to a topic that I know you're very interested in, and uh, you've we've talked about this before also at ABA, but context contextual banking. Mm -hmm. Perhaps you can elaborate a little bit more on that and tell you tell us all what it means to you. So I think if we are talking about contextual banking and if we're talking about embedded finance, so these are typical buzzwords which maybe are a little bit the same. And for me, embedded finance and contextual banking means the use of banking and payments at the moment when I need it. So if I, as a user, need something, then in the, in the history, I was connected to my bank or I was opening, opening up my, my, bank, uh, my bank app or so on. And now what we see is that banking and payments are coming in the right context and are embedded in the right use cases. And in other words, banking payments are integrated into the process and displayed in exactly the right context. And that's for me, um, a, a good description for, for contextual banking and embedded finance. Okay, well, that's, uh, that's a great explanation. Thank you. Um, do you think we're almost there or we're going to need uh, new technologies to make this truly embedded or frictionless and really personalize it? Or are we already really almost there? I think we have a lot of things available to, to drive that forward. And we see the success of companies like Solaris Bank and, 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 and some other ones, some other banking as a service providers, which are the basis technology for most of the embedded finance and, and contextual banking use cases. And I think we have a lot of things which, which are uh, in place. Uh, and I think that's a mix of regulation, technology and behavior changes. And um, I expect that um, there will be a lot of changes in our behaviors. So, and that uh, contextual banking and embedded finance will be, yeah, the new normal is another buzzword, but, but I think you know what I mean. Um, that that finance matters are involved in the in the, in the contexts we see that in messengers. So we see that I think you will remove uh, you you will you will travel to the US, uh, Kate, and then maybe you will see that in WhatsApp now payment is in sight, and uh, so that's something uh, which yeah. for me is embedded finance as well. And I think um, we we the technology is there, but the adaption um, yeah, yeah will will follow, and I think we will. We will see in 2022, 2023, a lot of more embedded financings. 
Mm-hmm. What do you think is keeping people from actually then accepting it and really embracing it? I'm not sure if, um, if no, I think we see a lot of adaption. Maybe if you, if you look to, the, to, to examples like Klarna, so all these buy now, pay later examples, I think they are growing massively. And that's a way of contextual banking. So doing maybe a loan in the process is for me embedded finance. And we see a lot of other um, areas where something like contextual banking and now something like the individualization of banking will happen. So we see banking integrated in payments. We see a bank for hairdressers. We see a bank for doctors. We see a bank for influencers. So all this verticalization, yeah? So the individualization and verticalization comes together with these embedded finance parts. And so that's something which we will see in the future more and more. And I guess that the people will see the benefits that they will get the individualized banking and payment solutions for their individual needs. Okay. You mentioned banking as a service and we did have Solaris Bank on the podcast in an early episode. So I'm wondering, do you feel it's a threat or a compliment to the incumbent banks? Um, it's so, so, so for me, it's something where where incumbents can position themselves as well. So it's it's not um, the one or the other. So if you say as a bank we want to be positioned as a banking as a service provider, I think there is absolutely um, a chance to position yourself. And but it's absolutely something which you have to bring to the mind of the people. Um, that you are not responsible for everything from front to back, yeah, from the from 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 the technology to the regulation up to the front end, and you have to you have to m- maybe accept that some other people, which are in a other sense more as a competitor, are responsible for the user front end or maybe for the for the customer engagement, and then something you have to accept. And if you say, okay, I accept that and the value which I bring to the table is more or less in the back, then you are absolutely able to play a relevant role in the banking as a service game as an incumbent as well. So it becomes more like a technology stack and maybe even a fintech could even provide the APIs for the banking as a service. Yeah, I I think it's a technology stack and more and then that maybe on a, on, a, on, a, on a same level, I think the regulation part and all the other um, maybe compliance part is relevant as well. So if you're only taking care about the technology, I think that's not enough. Yeah? So you have to do a lot of other things as well. And that's a question, who is responsible for what? And all these regulations think it's horrible and nobody wants to, yeah, to take care. So, a lot of people want to take care, don't get me wrong, but, but a lot of startups are not caring enough about that in the, in, the, in the first step. And so I think you can do um, a good mix of, 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 of um, 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 relationship or, or um, um, Zuständigkeiten. So sorry, sorry, I'm, I'm looking for the, for the, yeah, the re- responsibilities. Re- yeah, exactly. Yeah, for the, for the responsibilities, yeah. And so I think that's something where you can see the banking as a service provider um, can do the tech. Totally agree, Stephen. And then they are 
they can do something on the regulation part, re regulatory uh, part, and then they can do a lot of things for fintechs, for startups, and for maybe other companies who wants to do something like it in the embedded finance part on the regulation part in, in total. And so I think that's, um, that's quite important, not only tech. Yeah, you've got, yeah, you've got uh, I'm sorry, just, just a real quick follow-up question on that. So you've got all these players that are involved. Um, isn't there a real concern that too many cooks in this case are going to spoil the broth and you're going to open the connectivity pieces? Like I think of IoT a little bit as a parallel, it's going to open this the flank up to fraud and cybercrime? Yeah, that's something what, what, what I try to make clear that only technology is not enough. You have to take care about the about all these lazy and, and all these uh, horrible stuff in the back as well. And so I think if, if it's not clear who's responsible for what, and um, maybe people are, don't care about something like um, anti-money laundry in the, in the first beginning, then there could be absolutely a fraud. Totally agree, Kate. And that's a little bit the challenge we, we see in the banking as a service game. But I think players like Solaris and other ones are absolutely uh, right positions and they are not talking only about tech. Tech is an enabler, but the other parts are as maybe important as the other ones as well. Yeah, I definitely see that the fintechs would like to allow the incumbents to take the regulation on, maybe even as regulation as a service and, and security as a service, just because the fintechs seem mostly focused on the, the kind of sexier side of banking and don't yeah. want to deal with the actual infrastructural difficulties. Yeah, and, 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 and we, we see that in, in the moment that some of the neobanks have some issues with the, with the regulators because they mm -hmm. don't take care enough in the, in the first step for, for all these lazy stuff. And so I think that's, that's quite important that you have to care about that. Yeah, so... I'm not a big fan of all regulations. Yeah, don't get me wrong. But I think there are some in the place which, which are quite relevant and which are right. And so if you want to be in the game, then you have to play the same, the same game like, like all the others. And so you I think- play uh, by the rules. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And yeah, we saw N26 plots of the UK and now the USA, so. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if it's a regulation part. So the UK and the US things. I'm not sure if, it, if it's more uh, if it's more market market reasons. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm gonna. I, I'd like to to that brings me to a question I'd like to jump to. So I know it's almost cliche, but I'm going to throw it out now since we've mentioned fintechs and neobanks. But can banks and fintechs really cooperate and really work together? I have to say my experience here has shown that banks still prefer made it here as opposed to bringing it in and often find it hard to speak the language of a fintech. Um, I do a lot of time, I spend a lot of time translating as I think you know, Andre, in, in my situation. So there are silos and KPIs. How do you, how do you see it? So I think the, the word cooperation is a nice word, um, but I think that's, that's the beginning that you have to describe what the bank and the startup or the fintech means with cooperation. I think what is important is a partnership at eye level. Yeah, it must be clear from the very, very beginning that it cannot be about free or cheap counseling or education. So that was something, if I'm looking back to the beginning of, um, of the fintech space, a lot of banks were absolutely happy that they got um, education for free. 
And that's something you have to describe from the early beginning and you have to be more or less bold at a, as a fintech, as a startup, that you say, okay, we have knowledge you don't have. I don't want to, that you pay for the knowledge. I want that you are using our product, maybe as a POC, but you have to pay for that. And so that's cooperation, as, as, as mentioned, is a nice word. Um, but the partnership and um, the eye level is, is so much important. And we saw that in the beginning of Figo as well. So everybody wants to play a little bit with us, but it was horrible for us. So because it, it took so much time to answer all these questions and to do all these stuff for free. And so that's something um, you have to have in mind on both ends. So the bank has to have in mind that it doesn't make sense to use that for free because yeah, the value of the company um, will not be there in the future if they are giving everything for free. So that's something which, which, which everybody has to understand. So that, it's a very hard circle, as you know, I don't have to point that out. So what are your, you know, if you give, you know, two sentences of advice to uh, the fintech and the bank, what would you say to each one exactly? Yeah, agree from the early beginning what the value of the of the um, of the fintech is of the company is and um, make that clear um, maybe align on a on a uh, on something like a contract that both sides can maybe end that from from um, if, if, if some kpis are not uh, are not there and pay a very very fair um, value for what what you get, and so I think that's something which which both both players have to have in mind. Okay, thank you. Um, I have to ask this, of course, and you just mentioned it, so I'm going to go back to it. But European Payments Initiative. Mm -hmm. So this is sort of the yes, no, and why question. <laughs> it's very very strong. Yes, okay. I think it's. I think it's. Is that what you wish, or that's what you think will happen? It's a wishful thinking, maybe a little bit. No, no, um, to be very, very um, open. So I think it's absolutely a very, very huge opportunity. And I think if you think different topics and think about European Payment Initiative in a broader sense, then you have to bring some other topics in, these, in the European Payment Initiative as well. So I think it's a great opportunity to use what banks and, and the community built over the last decades. So the ZEPA rails, they are there and they are there maybe in real time now. And to use that for payments as well and not only for yeah, Überweisungen and so on. So I think that's, that's absolutely a huge opportunity. And then we are talking a lot about the digital euro and we are talking a lot about identity. And for me, all these topics, if you're thinking that in a broader sense, then EPI or something what, what API could be in the future. So the wallet, for example, customers all over Europe can use, could be the foundation for something like the digital euro and for something like the digital identity, a European digital identity as well. So you need, as always, you have to solve the chicken egg problem. You have to solve the acceptance part and you have to solve the, um, the, 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 the um, issuer part. And if, you, if all these players agree on that and see the big vision not only to build a payment scheme, that's, I think that's, that, that's a huge opportunity um, alone. But if you think that in a broader sense, as mentioned with the digital euro and with identity, so it makes totally sense for me. And if I'm thinking about the um, digital sovereignty of Europe, 
then we need something like that. So the long answer for a short yes. Mm -hmm. Don't you think it's time that perhaps uh, countries, governments, uh, Europe put some more money into it and not just not just uh, taking a look towards the banks or financial service companies or am I wrong there? I'm not sure if um, getting um, uh, money out of the out of the states and and so on is the right the right thing. I think you have to build a good company, a good product, and then the company and the product will be absolutely profitable. So I think that's that's my view. And if you're only putting money um, from from the states and so on to the company, I think that could be helpful. But I think the support can can come from 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 other ends as well. So money is only one part. But if you say, for example, there is a acceptance for EPI at every government, at every service. So I think that's helpful as well if you are thinking about um, support on a very, very, um, um, well, not, not only with money. So support can come from, from, from different angles. Okay, thank you. So green, ESG, sustainability, they're all big movements now, especially in tech. Um, how do you think the banks will make this happen? I think banks are absolutely um, relevant for that because um, we have a daily relevance for our customers. And these daily relevance allows us to influence behaviors. And if we're thinking about ESG and um, all these things, then behaviors are quite important. And in case of our relevance, we are able to, to change something. And the opportunity to have a substantial influence on the activities of the economy through our lending is something which comes on top. And then the third part is creating the right investment products for our clients is something which can drive that as well. So the daily relevance with changing behaviors, the opportunity uh, to influence activities by um, by lending and the investment products. I think there are three angles where we can drive something. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, your banks could definitely be influencers, especially around the investments. But do you think you could directly support the goals of the COP26, for instance? So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure. So, so I think we, we, we have to drive that from, from our end and we can maybe align with, with, with some other ones. But I think if we are doing that, um, the, 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 the three anchors in a, in a, in a very, very um, enormous way, then I think we can, we can drive and we can do our best to, to reach these goals together. Let's go on to something less green. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if it's green or not. <laughs> uh, I think it's definitely not, as China discovered and banned it because the yeah, power's all being drained. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but if you could please look into your crystal ball, what do you see for the future for governments, i.e. like the CBDCs and more generally? So I think if I look into the, the crypto space, I think it's there to stay. So I think it, it will not be gone away um, in, in some years. And um, if I'm looking to, to banks and the role of banks, I think they could be absolutely play a relevant role. I think there was um, a news this week in the in the German uh, in German press that the saving banks wants to uh, wants to go in, in crypto and some other ones are doing that. And there is a 
acquisition here in Hamburg, Sutor Bank was bought by a crypto company. So I think there's something which is which which, which there is something which is quite relevant. And if I'm looking to 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 CBDCs and 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 some other things which which maybe will come up, it's for me on some parts like every payment method. Yeah, and if you're talking about the digital euro and a CBDC, then it's something which the acceptance, and I mentioned that in the, in the EPI's um, um, topic before, you need a network. You need a network for acceptance and you need a network for people who will pay with these methods. And banks are able, and they bought, uh, they built that in the, in the history, and they are able to build these networks. And yet you can say, okay, you don't need these networks. You don't need these middlemans anywhere. But I think if you want to drive that in the right direction, and if you, if you want to do that with speed, then you need players like banks, which are able, as mentioned, to build these networks on the, um, on the acceptance side and on the issuing side. And, and that, I think, is it's quite important as well. I think crypto is in the moment not in the absolutely mainstream. So I think that a lot of people which, which are now rich with, with all these Bitcoin and, and, and Tether things and so on and all these um, alternative coins, but we are the banks. You know? We are relevant access points and trust factors for some people. And um, if we want to see something like the digital euro or other CBDCs become relevant, then I guess, and then I think that banks could be absolutely a trustful factor for, 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 for people. Do you think governments will also look at the banks to bring in the regulation, especially around money laundering and other kind of darker sides of crypto? Yeah, so absolutely. So, so I think that's, that there could be our role to be, uh, to be the KYC player and, 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 and to do all the money laundering thing. Absolutely. Great. Okay. It's a, it's a very important chapter. Stay tuned. Okay. We'll be talking again. <laughs> so now I want to get to another side of your life. So payments and banking. So how did you get the idea? Uh, why? When did it start? Tell us a little bit about that, please. So I'm a forgetful people uh, person. And moreover, I do not believe in uh, dominion science. So besides, I just wanted to try blogging um, in 2011. So 10 years ago. Um, I started the blog payment and banking. And so I started it for me and a few friends to put the daily news from the FinTech world online uh, and also to share mind maps and overviews. So that was something which, which, which I saw and which, which, which I collected and it was something which I needed for me. And um, yeah, and so it was quite easy for me to share that together with some friends. So for example, there was a, from a CEO of, of PayPal Germany who asked me, hey, what are you reading? And there are some news. Can you give me your news, which, which you are seeing every day? Maybe can you, you can share that with me. And so the, the, the one thing would be to send an email and the other one was to, to set up this block. And that was the beginning of, of payment and banking. And at some point, I also dared to comment on topics. So not only collecting news. And so I tried to comment it with, with my opinion. And that was the beginning of uh, first articles and then on stage and uh, afterwards in podcast. And uh, so I think it's eight years ago or something like that, that uh, Jochen and, and I did our first podcast at Payment Banking. So it was not a plan. Um, and um, it was more or less um, by... 
<laughs> but, but, but coincidence and then people come together and so that was the beginning of payment of banking that was not, not a not a big plan okay so you didn't have a it wasn't a an explosion a burst it grew no no <laughs> okay um <laughs> Do you have a particular motto or watchword or phrase? I mean, anything that you feel you think about when you think about your purpose or what you want to be doing, something to live by. You, you mean for payment of banking or for me? No, for you yourself. So, uh, um, uh, no, 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 no. So, so I'm, I'm doing, no. So I'm living in the, in the, um, in the actual um, time. And so, yeah, so. No. So you live in the present and you let Absolutely. that influence you. Okay. Because you always seem so calm, cool, and collected. Uh, I have to ask you what, you know, knocks you off your path. What, you know. My kids. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> and in what way? <laughs> no, they, they are 12 and 14, yeah, and they are girls. And they are doing so much crazy things, which I, uh, which are new for me. And uh, that's something which brings me out of fassung. I understand that. We won't go into it. I have multiple of them and I went through it. So, uh, and St- Stephen as well. He's got a few yeah. in that age group. Yeah. Yeah. The TikToks and the other things I learned from Stanley. Yeah. And parties and, 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 and all these, all these things. So it's a little bit crazy. So I think these pubertät is something like an illness. <laughs> Well, I, I always said that God sent us college because when they get to be about 17 or 18, you you really want to sell them. But this way you can send them somewhere and then they come back as human beings eventually. Yeah, uh, but, but, but my, my older daughter will go to the to the UK in an um, in boarding house uh, next year. So that's the first step with 14 now. So <laughs> Ooh, uh, that's early. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's early. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, one more question sort of in that line, and then I'll hand it back to, to Stephen, but uh, I don't know if you saw this, but something that I'm interested when we have people on the, uh, you know, on the podcast is to talk about your true north, so your, uh, your inner sense, your calling, uh, is, there, is there something that, that you again sort of have as your purpose, as, your, uh, as something that guides you? So I think what, what is absolutely important for me in every situation is independency. In nearly every moment um, I have, so um, in in job, um, in private, so I'm trying to be as independent um, as possible in uh, most uh, situations of my life. So also that means to you unbiased and really being able to say as you see your truth. Is that absolutely. Correct? So uh, absolutely, and. Um, Maybe that was one of the reasons why I was always in, in smaller companies, because uh, in smaller companies, you are mostly more independent. Um, and now in my new role, I'm tr- trying to be as independent as well. Mm-hmm. So not being part of all these political stuff. And so that's um, um, very, very, very important for me to be as independent as, as possible. So it was um, quite hard for me to buy a house because it doesn't uh, appear to, 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 to this goal to be as independent as possible. To getting kids was, was one of the big questions as well. <laughs> it certainly gives you, uh, yeah, ties you down a bit, doesn't it? There are responsibilities yeah, that never go away. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, when they tell you uh, right now, you, you know, there are small problems and that as they get big, there'll be big problems. You don't really understand it because you think there's enough when they're small. Yeah. Oh, yes, it does. It happens. <laughs> Okay, over you, Stephen. Um, so one of my passions is startups. 
<laughs> just looking at different startups, especially in fintech. And we've noticed that you do a lot of investing in startups. I'm just wondering, how do you choose a theme or which fintech is like a good one to actually invest in? Mm-hmm. So I'm doing a lot of uh, these these smaller investments and to be very, very um, open and, and honest, um, that's um, very, very early stage um, um, investments. So that's uh, the way how I'm, oh, that, these are the moments when I'm looking to startups. Yeah. So the very, very early stage, the ideas and and, and trying to, to help um, founder teams um, um, as good as possible. And I'm doing that together with some friends and we are doing a very, very small due diligence um, and most of the investments are out of the network and inbound calls because some people ask me, hey, we are doing something. Do you have an opinion? And uh, so that's the way how I'm mostly um, in contact with, with these founder teams. And um, uh, for me, something like a checklist over the last years with eight to 10 topics. Um, and then these are check marks. And uh, so there are some, some check marks on these lists. And uh, if m- most of the uh, checks are, are positive, then I say, okay, maybe it's possible if they want me in their cap table to invest. And um, the, one of the most important reasons is, yeah, is the team. Yeah, the team um, which, which, which is building um, a first product is for me quite important because I think if the team is good and if the team is, um, is able to start something and to drive something in the right direction, then the product is not so important in the first step because maybe there will be a pivot afterwards. But if the team isn't the right one and the team is not harmonized, then um, maybe a startup has a big um, 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 chance to fail. And so the team is the most important factor for me. Yeah, this is something I totally agree with. It's you always should invest in the people and good people always achieve great things. Yeah, and absolutely in the in the early stage. Yeah, if you're looking yeah. to the in the later stage, then KPIs and um, and, and and products and, and so on and, and so on are and, and, and uh, more impo- more important. And to, to be very very open, so if somebody will a great team will come to me without or with a crazy idea, I didn't invest. Yeah, don't don't get me wrong, but but I think the team is more important than than the first idea. So you have a crazy idea. That's very risky, but you're a great team. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> Let's do that. <laughs> we'll be back to you, uh, Andre. <laughs> <laughs> We're pretty crazy here. We talk a lot about yeah. music. Okay. Um, well, let me say, any final thoughts from your side, Andre? Anything you want to tell our audience? Any tips or tricks? Anything that uh, you'd like to add? No, not at the moment. So I wish you... Um, nice Christmas and a happy new year. <laughs> ah, those are good words. I'm hoping I'm hoping that will be the case that uh, even with uh, some of the challenges out there with COVID, etc, that we will be able yeah. to have it. Stephen. Let's put it away. This yeah. COVID thing. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But we, yeah, we've covered a lot of topics. This podcast has been a great one. Uh, I think for me, this is a reaffirmation that the incumbents are not going away. They're going to be the foundation for whatever fintech becomes and how banking evolves and out of the big stack. And when it comes to regulation and all the other areas that we believe we said, they're just not the sexy side of banking, incumbents will always be the foundation that, that takes care of that because that's who the governments trust. And that's who the people trust at the end of the day as well. Absolutely. Yeah, right. 
Okay, great last words. So we have the wisdom and we have good wishes. So thank you so much, Andre, for joining Stephen and me. It was a pleasure. Thanks. And thanks to all of you who are listening to Digital Dump. Our aim is to tackle a topic of interest in the world of technology on a weekly basis. Digital Dump is now on 10 platforms, including Spotify, Google, and Apple. If you have a topic you'd like to know more about, please let us know. So thanks very much and bye-bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.